that she wasn't thriving before, but we felt like she was thriving, but it was because like we started to really shift our perspective on things mm-hmm. and it wasn't Bailey that was needing to change. Like we had to change. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Lisa. And this is There Are No Tangents. Feels like I seen this all in a dream. What's the purpose of a human being? Never mind me. I'm just lost in my thoughts. What's the topic? Ain't no topic. Keep it going, no, no, stop it. Don't get the picture, then we grab it. With no emotion, what's the line? Not on the surface beyond that Pull back the curtains, I'm on that Once we take it there, ain't no going back Don't be losing the topic, man We gotta stay on track, yeah You so crazy, yeah, I know it Tell me a story Like a poet, yeah, like a poet We getting lost in our thoughts Welcome to the show Emma and Lisa, they already on the road Well, welcome everybody to another episode of There Are No Tangents. We're really happy to be with you, and we have a very special guest on with us today for our series of Shifting Gears. We've really been enjoying this series of Shifting Gears. It's been so cool to learn from other people and just for us, Lisa and I, to be able to talk about some of the things where we've shifted in transition. Um, Transition seems to be a really big thing at play for a lot of people, especially, you know, during the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic and those sorts of things. Um, And so we're very excited to welcome our friend Tiffany um, to the podcast today. And so Tiffany and I met, uh, well, gosh, when was that? 2020? I mean, or was it 2019? Um, I don't got my date straight. It was... I don't know. I can't remember when the group, I can't either, but yeah, I want to say it might've been, oh gosh, I don't know, 2020 or 2019 y'all. And, um, so we've known each other for a few years at this point, and we actually met online on a Facebook group, (laughs) um, which is so funny. Um, and I know you have a lot of close personal friends from that group. You are very good about staying in touch with people and connecting with people. Um, I suck a little bit more in that regard, but I did make it a point to stay connected to you. Um, And I've just really enjoyed getting to know you as a person and all of the different things. And I know that you have a really incredible journey with a lot of different things that we'll kind of get into. But before I introduce that and the topic that we'll kind of be getting into today, I wanted to see if there was anything else you wanted to say about yourself in terms of just introing who you are a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, Well, currently right now I am a stay-at-home mom, work-from-home mom, um, and I also have a job outside of the home where I substitute teach. Um, And so when you're talking about like transitions and especially during COVID, um, that made me start to think about like my own personal journey with transitioning, not only as a mom, but also as just like Tiffany. Um, And during COVID, it was a nice, and I don't say this to like take away or make light of COVID, but it really forced my family and also myself 
to slow down. Like everything shut down. We stayed at home and, um, you know, that, that was a bit of a double-edged sword <laughs> because it was nice to have the time and the opportunity to kind of like work through things and process things, but it was a little difficult too. Um, so I'm grateful that we had that journey because I don't think that our family unit or myself would be, you know, where we're at today without that time, you know, being frozen. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's an amazing perspective. Um, I think probably Lisa and I would feel similarly based on some of our conversations we've had. Um, cause yeah, of course it wasn't like a, a quote unquote good thing, you know, COVID, but it really did help us to reorient to things and reprioritize things in a different way. I think that's really important. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so, well, I know for you, one thing that we were really excited for you to be able to share a little bit about is you have a lot of firsthand experience as it relates to the topic of neurodivergence and autism. Um, so those are some of the, the things that we will be chatting about today, as well as I'm sure we'll do some tangents and talk about <laughs> as we always do, uh, some other transitions and you've had a lot of, you know, even just job transitions and I'm sure yeah. a lot of stuff will come up, but, um, yes. Um, I was specifically pertaining to, you know, your daughter and kind of navigating, um, that journey with autism and, and all of those sorts of things. And you have been, um, instrumental in helping me understand more about autism spectrum. And so I still feel like, and I'm sure Lisa feels similarly, cause we've chatted a little bit about this, but we have so much to learn as a society. Um, but also Lisa and I, and so we are really grateful that you're here. And so I'll say up front, um, and for the sake of our listeners, like, um, you know, if you have anybody in your life, um, you know, with autism, or maybe you don't, um, even better to listen in to this episode, because I know that Tiffany's going to be able to impart a lot of wisdom to us today. And, um, I've already told Tiffany before we hit record, but like if Lisa or I, if we like phrase something the wrong way or whatever, and you're like, actually, I would kind of phrase it this way, you know, cause like I say, you've even in terms of like the language that we use to describe this, it's always evolving and always shifting. Um, so anyway, really grateful that you're on to be able to talk about some of these really important topics today. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So well, I'll turn it over to you um, for a little bit and we'll probably pop in with some questions and things here or there, but take it away. Okay. Um, well, so before I started to like stay at home um, in pre-COVID, I worked in public education, um, in special education. Um, and a lot of the students that I worked with, um, they had, um, you know, more significant disabilities um, as far as like complex um, communication needs, um, complex behaviors. You'll see me do this a lot. Oh, if you're not watching. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like a podcast. Sorry. Um, yeah. I'm she's doing that. Air, yeah. Yeah. air quotes. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, there, there's just um, some words and like you touched on just language and how we, you know, speak about people is super important. Um, 
but for people who are not familiar with special education or neurodiversity, um, sometimes I use words that I don't love, but just to kind of help bridge that gap with understanding. Um, so a lot of the kids that I worked with, um, unfortunately, teachers didn't always love them just because of not knowing how to connect and relate. Um, but I loved my job so much and I had great teammates and it was awesome. Um, I worked for about seven years and during that time I had two kids and after I had my daughter, there was like a huge internal shift. Um, I wanted to stay home, like I didn't want to go back to work. And through that, I learned that like, because my brain and body could not handle all of like the mental work of, you know, doing a great job at my job, but then also doing a great job as a mom, you know, and a wife. It was just and I'll um, say real quick, so you said after your daughter, so your daughter is your youngest. So you do. Yes. Have, yes. Okay. Yes. So just to yes. set that scene. Um, so you already were working when, mm -hmm. when Jack was little, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I did the oh, whole entire, like, can I say their names? Is that? <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I did the whole entire, like getting up at like 5 a.m., to get him to childcare, to get to my job. Like I did that for a couple of years and it was great. I loved it. I was managing it, but something about like just having Bailey, I don't know if it's just adding that second um, life that you're having to take care of. Um, I was not realizing, but like my brain and body started to shut down. Um, and just to kind of jump to ahead in the future, it was because I had ADHD. I've always had ADHD, but it was, you know, undiagnosed. Um, and what I've learned is that a lot of individuals, especially women, they hit a time in their life where um, sometimes it can present as like depression or anxiety, but it's really because they have ADHD. So whatever coping skills and masking they have done their whole entire life, they're not able to do it anymore. Um, and so that's kind of what happened with me during 2018, 2019. Um, that was that internal shift. <laughs> um, my body was like, okay, you know, this is not very helpful. Yeah. So, um, and so 2019, Bailey was born January 12th. So her birthday is next week. She'll be four. Oh my gosh. And, wow. Um, I know, I know. I, I love Facebook memory pop-ups, you know, because like, yeah. you're like, oh, they're so teeny, but then you're crying like 10 minutes later, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, That's usually uh, the only reason I post to Facebook is so I can have the memories. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so that first year of being home from, you know, 2019 to 2020, it was a dream. I had started off started up a part-time e-commerce business. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I was just so excited that I was able to stay at home, bring in a little money. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, during that time period of her first year, you know, she did have some like delays and, mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to like navigate that because of my experience in special education. And I didn't want to be like hypersensitive or like hyper-focused on things, but some of her delays, 
um, like didn't go away or they got worse as far as her like being late to like roll over and not being able to hold up her head. And um, she wasn't into taking solids. Like mm-hmm. my son, Jack was very much, you know, mm-hmm. by the book per se, as far as milestones. Um, and he still fell into a normal, I'm doing air quotes again, normal, you know, developmental milestone range, like early with some things, but a little late, nothing concerning, but hers, it was just like one more thing, one more thing. Um, she had a really hard time eating, gaining weight. And I just was like, this is very different. Like, Mm-hmm. I just kind of kept having this nagging feeling of, and nagging's a negative word, but it, it just didn't go away from me. Like mm-hmm. she, she's different. Um, but so many people kept telling me, oh, she's fine. She's good. She's such a smiley baby. Um, and when she hit about six months, you know, some of the sleep issues got a little bit better. Some of the crying issues and eating issues got a little bit better but she was just so different. Like, um, she always wanted to be held all the time. And so I couldn't put her down, um, or she would, you know, get very upset, not a let her cry out for a little bit. She'll figure it out. You know, as she got older, it was never like that for her. Mm -hmm. And around her first birthday, um, it was actually on her birthday. We were celebrating eating cake and we had the window open because it was like a random, very hot and warm day in January. Yeah. And, um, she, our neighbor was outside mowing the lawn and she kept looking outside the window and the door and we couldn't get her attention at all. Like we couldn't get her to break away from, you know, staring at our neighbor and we kept calling her name and you know, even my husband was like, what's, what's going on? Like, you know, and so as we discussed it that night, we started to realize like, oh, well, she was saying these words, but now she's not. Mm-hmm. And we started to go through some videos that we had of her. And we, we realized like her eye contact wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't bringing stuff to us. And so then I get on Google and I'm like, oh, you know, trying to as we do (laughs) when anything's concerning with our kids, we're like, yes, yes. All of these like 12 month milestones Mm -hmm. and so many of them she wasn't at. Um, and I was just, it just hit me. I'm like, I think she's autistic. Like Mm -hmm. there's just so much with the communication and her sensory things. Um, it, it just, and it didn't like upset me. Um, I think, I know I've spoken to some other people where their journeys have been a little bit different. Um, I wasn't upset. I was just more so like, why? Like mm-hmm. just trying to fix, fix, like fit in these little pieces to make sense of it, I guess. Um, because, you know, the professionals in my life, they were telling me like, everything's okay. But as her mom, I just felt like, mm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then COVID 2020 hit. <laughs> so um, I don't even know if I'm answering any questions or if I, You're I'm doing sorry amazing. if I'm like rambling. Okay. No, no, no. You're doing perfectly fine. I have like questions popping up, but I can tell that you're going to get to it. And so okay. you're 
absolutely okay. painting okay. the picture and, and okay interrupt me or like wave at me to get to oh, oh totally well <laughs> no yeah. no no it's great mm-hmm. um so 2020 COVID hit the world shut down um and by that point you know she was like 14 months old mm-hmm. and our our pediatrician was like okay whoa pump the brakes like yeah because I had made an appointment like a week after her birthday for her um, wellness, you know, one year checkup, but really to talk to him about these things. And at that appointment, he was like, yeah, this is something's a little, you know, different. Um, And getting Bailey services and COVID, it was so difficult. And I think that's something that, you know, individuals who are not part of you know, the disabled community, or they're not like a caretaker. Um, they don't fully understand the impact that it had on the disabled community. Um, and I and will getting- ask a question right here, if that's okay. Uh-huh. I know you and I had yeah. pre-chatted a little bit before, and this is another language thing. So hearing you say disabled community, is that appropriate to say? Because it wasn't until you just shared that with me in our Voxer that I didn't realize that. So for uh, people listening, mm-hmm. is that how it would be described? Um, yeah, I, for the most part. So there's a big shift in um, the community, <laughs> um, whether it's like educational, professional, mm-hmm. um, there's a shift happening of pro neurodiversity language. So um, neurodiversity is the understanding, philosophy, acceptance, that um, different brains, all brains are okay, but brains that, you know, deviate a little bit from the norm. Um, It's just part of like the natural variation of brains. It's just how, you know, some people's brains are made and it's okay. So there's the pro neurodiversity movement that's happening. And a lot of that is because of COVID. Um, I think a lot of individuals um, found a platform like through social media where they could start putting out their thoughts and feelings um, as a disabled individual Mm -hmm. versus maybe their mom or a family member doing it. Um, Right. And so, yeah, like, saying disabled is okay. Saying autistic is okay. Um, because having a disability, it impacts you so much. Um, Mm -hmm. and especially I'll speak to like autism and ADHD because that's what I'm a little bit more familiar with. Um, you know, it is your brain. It's how your, your brain is. And so it is a part of you. It is your identity. Um, and so there used to be, um, the, like you would say, like child with autism, Mm -hmm. um, because autism doesn't define them. There's so much more than that. Um, but you know, hearing from individuals, they're like, no, like this is who I am. It is a part of me. Um, Mm -hmm. and so there, there's a big switch. Um, Mm -hmm. I always like to say like, if you do have someone in your life who is disabled, um, you know, finding out from them how they would like to be referred to as is a big thing because there are some adults um, who 
prefer to say like, I have autism. Um, and that's something like, you know, you would respect, but for the most part, like disabled, autistic, all of those things are completely okay. Because the more that we get used to saying those words and understanding that it's okay, hopefully there will be more acceptance mm-hmm. of differences over time. Yeah. And would you say, and again, this is me asking out of pure ignorance, which, you know, whatever. Um, but the, would you say it's the same thing as it pertains to ADHD? Like, is, or is that a little bit different? Um, I, I, and that's something I'm still personally like learning and trying to figure out. Um, because some of it is like how it sounds. It sounds weird to say like ADHD individual. Um, and I I have been seeing online how, I don't want to say it should be worded. Um, but, but I personally, feel like seeing person with ADHD um, and what I have seen. That's what I have mm-hmm. been seeing like in different Facebook groups. There's a reason for it. I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and cause same thing with like Down syndrome. Um, that's another like language thing where, you know, some people would want to say like, oh, that Downs kid, which is totally inappropriate <laughs> to say. Right. Um, yeah. But it also doesn't sound right to say like Down syndrome, that Down syndrome kid. So right. some of it is semantics. Some of it I'm still like on that journey myself figuring out. Sure. Um, but definitely like autistic individual, okay. disabled individual, mm-hmm. those things are okay okay to say, and, you know, just accepting that it's not a bad word. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. I think yeah. that that's important. Um, but yeah, I cut you off. I think when you were talking about, you were meeting with the pediatrician when she was around 14 months. Yeah. Um, so we got in lots of referrals, um, for early intervention, but early intervention, um, where I'm at was like shut down. Um, mm-hmm they were only doing like referrals and evaluations through zoom, um, which would not work for, you know, any 14 month old, (laughs) Um, but especially for my little girl, because some of her um, differences were very subtle and you, you can't even not so much now, but you know, from far away, she may look a certain way, but like you have to get in the nitty gritty with her, especially when she was younger to kind of pick up on some of her differences. Mm-hmm. So it took a while to get in to be seen. Um, we were super blessed because um, all of the therapists that she got were just so amazing. Bailey connected with them early on. Um, and those individuals had like huge impacts on her overall development. Um, And so we're very thankful and very blessed because through other families that I've spoken to, like early intervention, especially during COVID, they did not have the same experience. Um, So somehow the stars aligned for us. um, And that's something that we will, you know, 
I feel like we will always be in debt to her little early intervention team. Right. Uh, So I do kind of have another question as it relates Mm -hmm. to that. Again, this is me not knowing much at all, um, you know, about autism, but I, I remember speaking to somebody at one point and they were saying like, how old do you have to be to receive like an official diagnosis, if you will? Um, because it sounds like, you know, like you said, Bailey was really fortunate to be able to have that early intervention. Is that typical? Like, um, I mean, it sounds like it's not compared, like as, as you've kind of just shared in like speaking with other people, but like across the board, like, will people do that? Like, does that make sense? What I'm trying to ask yeah. after the question and it's like kind of hard to pinpoint the exact question, but yeah. So, you know, autism. So this is another shift in movement. So, um, autism spectrum disorder, you may hear that a lot. Um, not the best thing to say, cause disorder unfortunately has like a negative impact. Um, you know, it's not a disease or anything. Um, and so like when you think about autism and you hear the word spectrum, I think a lot of people think it's linear. So you may have like an extreme on this side an extreme on that side. And then the kids kind of flow here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, it's, and I don't know what it's called, but in reality, it's like, um, like a mic system, like, you know, at concerts and stuff, how, there are these little buttons that move like up and down for like different mics and like audio and stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, that's really what autism is like. So if each button may be like communication, sensory, fine motor, gross motor for each kid, that button's going to be moved up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really not a linear type of thing. Okay. Um, and I would say that um, there's also a very small, small start of change as far as like, um, assessments with, um, you know, diagnosing autism. Um, a lot of it has a strong bias towards boys. A lot of the research about autism, especially in young children, it's only about boys. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's why the statistics for boys are supposedly higher, but in reality, um, there are many girls who have autism because they mask their whole entire life. Um, they learn how to cope or, you know, they may play more so with baby dolls than trains and spinning the wheels. So there's this misconception that symptoms look different in girls, but that's really not the case. That just stems from like the bias and the research and the assessments and stuff. Um, so because there is bias, there's misunderstanding that definitely plays a huge impact on diagnosing autism. Um, a lot of pediatricians are not, um, they don't have like a full grasp because they're a pediatrician. So they're going to send out referrals to people. So, you know, misses are going to happen. Um, And because those little like mic buttons get moved up and down, um, autism is typically, most people don't like to diagnose until three is very young still for average. Five is like, okay, I'll, I'll say, you know, 
they're autistic. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a small, small shift. They're starting to pivot of diagnosing earlier Mm -hmm. um, because early intervention is so important not to change the child. Um, It's more so for families to learn how to better support their children and their needs specifically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's what I was thinking, like, as you were sharing your story and your personal experience, like you said, it just sounded like, like that wasn't the norm, right? That wasn't what typically happens. And, um, so yeah, that's really, really fascinating. Is that because you all, um, I don't know, just had such a great network of doctors, do you think, or is it because, um, of the certain, um, knobs on the volume that were displaying for Bailey or like, what was, what was contributing to that? Do you think? I think probably a little bit of some of the things that you mentioned. So like I said, we had a great network of professional support, um, who were very knowledgeable about child development. I wouldn't necessarily say about autism. Um, but and, and through that, they were able to really support us as a family, um, you know, learning how to make small changes in our home and stuff, Yeah, which better supports Bailey, you know, and meets her needs. needs. Um, I would also say some of that is because I love psychology, development, the brain, like I've always had an interest in that. Um, and I tend to hyper-focus on things too, because I have ADHD. (laughs) Um, So like when I would hear something new and not necessarily specifically related to autism, but just, um, you know, this term neurodiversity, I was starting to hear it and see it online. I was like, oh, what's that? Mm -hmm. Um, Or if, you know, a therapist mentioned a treatment or like a case study, I'd be like, oh, can you send that to me? I just... I just, I love to learn. Yeah. Um, Also to just my experience in special education, I think definitely played an impact. And um, just, again, I worked with an incredible group of teachers. Um, I got to experience um, working with amazing families who really advocated for their children. Um, And so even though I, there was still struggles and it was demanding and challenging. I just feel like we were very fortunate to have different types of support networks um, to kind of meet our needs and stuff. So that's awesome. That's Mm -hmm. great. Um, And then, so at that point, so after she had received that support, what was the next kind of shift that you would say, like what, yeah, what happened at that point, whether it was in your life or in hers or both or? Yeah, so um, Bailey wasn't diagnosed with autism until after her second birthday. Um, so she was like two and maybe almost two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and before then, she just had the diagnosis of a developmental delay. Um, we had seen like a developmental pediatrician Um, and that doctor was like, "Mm, I'm not sure. Let's give it another year. Um, again, looking back on that, that's probably from, you know, their own bias, you know, they went to school, (laughs) they went to medical school a long time ago. Um, and again, it just didn't like sit with me. I was like, 
it's not a developmental delay. Like there's just some key indicators of some milestones that she missed. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were fortunate enough through her early, early intervention, we got a referral to an amazing psychologist. Um, she felt very confident working with young girls um, and really like just kind of picking it apart, like her communication delays is it really a true developmental delay or are there some, is, is it autism? Um, and so she got that diagnosis and once she received the diagnosis, it was very weird because I thought there would be this like huge change and shift with her, um, but there really wasn't. Her services stayed the same she was the same, um, but with that diagnosis, we did get um, more opportunities to different types of services, resources. Um, so it's, it's important that people are trained and educated in autism to properly diagnose because it does open up some doors for families and children. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple months later, so we're in like summer of 2021, um, we met this amazing speech therapist. Um, at, I'm going to like shout her out. <laughs> okay, go for it. On and she was like, oh, I'll listen to it. Um, but her name is Adrienne Shortridge. She is like an angel on earth. She is so incredible with what she does. Um, she's great with families, but she's just very educated. And you want to say like where she's located? Like, do you want to do the full oh, shout okay, out? <laughs> yeah. Well, she lives in Western North Carolina. So she okay. lives like kind of close to me. Um, and she was like what Bailey needed as far as helping Bailey communicate, um, because that's where our biggest struggle was at that point was communication. Um, and Adrienne's just amazing. She's very knowledgeable. Um, and so it was like once, cause she was, Bailey was still in early intervention. There was just a change of therapist. And at that point I was like, Oh my gracious, like this is amazing. Bailey slowly, not that she wasn't thriving before, but we felt like she was thriving but it was because like we started to really shift our perspective on things mm -hmm. and it wasn't Bailey that was needing the change. Like we had to change. And around that time is when I started to think, Hmm, I, what is wrong with me? <laughs> because a lot of the things that Bailey struggled with, I started to realize like, Oh, I, I also struggle with this. Um, you know, I had some moments where like my brain and body would shut down, um, some sensory things, um, hyper-focus, <laughs> you know? Um, and so once I kind of got her settled, I was like, okay, I need to see what's going on with me. Like, mm -hmm. am, am I autistic? You know, do I just have depression? Like, I just really started to, try to figure out what's happening. Um, and that's when I dove deep into neurodiversity and just learning more about like the differences in brains and stuff. Um, and I just, I went to my doctor and I was like, I think I have ADHD, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, just 
communication, disorganization. Like um, as a kid, I was always messy. My room was always messy. Um, my car still to this day is messy. Like I have to clean it out like every Sunday because during the week I just, you know, I have a messy car and I always link those things to like my morality. Like, Oh, I'm lazy. I'm not a good. Oh my gosh. You are literally speaking my language. I've I've been working on that myself. Not like, yes, putting a moral value on things like that or saying, yes, my, um, yeah, my therapist has, she's like, you keep saying, oh, I was just being lazy. I want you to know you're not lazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I was saying that. Okay. So yeah. anyway, I'm like, well, this is ringing some bells, but um, <laughs> anyway, okay, continue on. But yeah, so, that was well, such a new concept to me. I was like, yeah, oh, it's not because I'm a bad person. My brain is wired differently. Um And so slowly over time, learning, you know, how to put systems in the place, routines, you know, really learning skills. Um, Just like we had to learn skills to support Bailey, I had to start learning skills on how to support myself. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. This is really fascinating to me because um, so when I guess it was probably like four years ago, maybe four and a half years ago, something like that. Um, I had just like a routine checkup, you know, just like a wellness check, whatever. And, um, at the time I was really concerned because I was like, I, I'm just having such a hard time, like with my kids, like, I just can't focus on I went through this whole thing. And my doctor said, I think you have OCD. So here is a prescription. (laughs) You also need to see a therapist. Like, okay, I'm not going to take the meds, but I will see the therapist. And at our first appointment, you know, we were chatting and she said, do you, you don't have any history of ADHD? I said, no, I was an excellent student. Like all these things. She was like, well, I was a great student, but I have severe ADHD. I was like, okay, well, whatever, you know, skip, skip, skip. And then she revisited it several sessions later. And she's like, definitely no ADHD. And I said, oh, <laughs> definitely. She said, well, we are going to do this assessment. <laughs> so we did this assessment. It was like every single thing was yes, 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 yes. Except for, can you sit still in meetings? And I was like, of course I can sit still in meetings. I might have to doodle or whatever, (laughs) right? but I can sit still. I don't have to get up and walk around. And so we go, she referred me to um, like a psychologist and anyway, that gets into a whole other story. So I never had um, an actual diagnosis or the actual like psychology appointment. Um, Then I go to a different therapist and she's like, well, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure that you actually have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, HSP, yes, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting. I, I, from my um, limited knowledge, there seem to be a lot of overlaps. And I don't know if you would say the same, but between like, so autism, ADHD, highly sensitive, there seem to be these common traits. Is it, Would you agree with that? 
Yes. I mean, that is neurodiversity. I mean, it's just a variation of the brain. Um, and so that's why a lot of things do over overlap is because mm-hmm. the brain is, you know, each one's wired differently, but there are these, you know, similar traits. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how like a highly sensitive person relates to neurodiversity. Um, but I, I, I feel like it would some way fit in or it's a variation of the brain because that's, see, I thought I also was a highly sensitive person, but when I was working with the, my doctor and he was kind of starting to peel the layers from the onion back, I've pretty much masked my whole entire life, but I was messy procrastinator, like to the point where, you know, early on in my like, college years, I, I, I was failing classes because I waited for so long or I was very disorganized. Um, so yeah, like I think it all does relate because of, you know, the brain being wired differently um, and just the variation. So, mm-hmm. and that's why it's difficult too for young kids to get a diagnosis because you'll have doctors say, well, let's wait, let's wait. Um, which is good and bad because I mean, you definitely want the proper diagnosis. So there's the correct like treatments and resources. Um, but at the same time, a lot of, a lot of kids aren't going to outgrow things. Like that's just who they are. You know, that's how their brain is. So, mm. yeah. 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 I'm really glad you brought that up, Lisa. Cause I actually, when you said that I was like, oh, I wish I had screenshotted this. Cause now I'm going to totally butcher it. It wasn't until recently because I also identify as HSP and was kind of, you know, assessed by a therapist as well. And that was kind of, you know, she was like, well, you read about this. This is kind of what it's showing or whatever. It was just recently I was reading something and I, it was probably on Instagram. I don't totally remember, but it was actually saying like, it it was more like from the autistic community, like stop saying you are an HSP, like, because that's Uh taking away from something. I didn't look into it that much. It was like a quick thing. And I kind of tucked it away in my brain. And I thought, I need to look into that more later. What is that referring to? Mm -hmm. So when you brought that up, I was like, oh, I'm so glad. Cause I didn't know if you'd come across anything like that. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody say that. So I don't know that that's like held by every autistic person or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, or educator or what have you, but I was That's really curious. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that, so like, it's just really interesting because I have seen something like that, um, before in, and this is just like what I think I'm not, I don't know, but just like my perspective, I wonder if some of that is because the word autistic, or if someone thinks like there, I mean, there's still a lot of negativity around that label and diagnosis. And so maybe that was kind of stemming from, you know, this term highly sensitive person is more accepted Uh, in the world versus autistic and not saying that, you know, HSP isn't a thing or, um, you know, if you say you are HSP, no, you're really autistic. I don't think it's that, but I wonder if it's, um, 
it may take away from the autistic community as far as like ex- true acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it's a, because like one of the very common things for highly sensitive people is like sensory issues, for oh. example, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that at least I've heard a lot about with autism, you know, yeah. just an example. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to think about that intersection and like what, you know, what is there that we don't know yet mm-hmm. yes. that research will uncover, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So then you were, so you, at that point, when you worked with the therapist, you hadn't been officially diagnosed with ADHD, Tiffany, like, or? No, no. So, well, um, so, and this is another interesting thing, um, through insurance, doctor's offices, you know, however a doctor is trained, um, you know, sometimes you can get a diagnosis of ADHD from a pediatrician, from a regular doctor, but then sometimes you have to be referred out to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, So my doctor felt pretty confident that I had ADHD, but he referred me out to a therapist. Um, And, you know, through working with her, um, we we confirmed I had ADHD, you know, so um, that, looks different, which again, it goes back to making things difficult for individuals who are needing support because, you know, my process was super smooth, but I have a friend who it took her a very long time, one, for someone to take her seriously, but two, to get the diagnosis, to get the medication, um, you know, just to help support her. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just, it's so crazy to think about like how far we've come, but like still how much further we need to go. Um, so it, yeah, that's really uh, fascinating. So when you, after you finally realized that and got the support and everything that you needed, did you see changes in your life or what kind of shifts did you see at that point? So, um, I started off with medication because, when I am not taking medicine, it, I have more ups and downs. It's not that I can't manage, but like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not as consistent with things. Mm-hmm. So I remember like taking my first pill and a couple hours later, you know, being able to get the dishes done, you know, take care of my dog, do the laundry. Like I was doing all of these things all before like pickup. <laughs> you know, also while taking care of Bailey. And it was so amazing. I was on this high. And then like the next couple of days, I started to come down from it because I was like, this is what, what other people's brains are like, you know, their, their brains, not like a yarn, like a ball of yarn. They have like individual strings. Like it's not all tangled up. Um, and so, yeah, I was just, I I saw, you know, the shift and the improvement, but like, I, I almost kind of mourned the years of time that I felt like I was a failure, um, Mm, you know? And so, and I was still doing therapy during that time because for most people, you know, you can't, the pill doesn't teach the skill, 
basically, you know, yeah. so the pill does help out your brain, but yeah. you know, a common characteristic of ADHD is because you do have ups and downs. So you may have a couple of weeks where you're like moving and grooving and then your brain shuts down. Um, and so it's good to have those skills in place to kind of like, you know, supplement the days, even when you take the pill, it's like, come on, what's going on? You know, it's not, it, again, a lot of this is my experience. Oh yeah. Um, that's totally, no, that's yeah. exactly what we're um, looking for. Yeah. But so yeah, I just, taking the medication while going through therapy. Um, also learning a lot on TikTok. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that yeah. from multiple people. Like, so that's really fascinating. Yes. I mean, just learning, you know, understanding. I can't, I think her name is, is it Casey Davis? Okay. She's like really big into like household management and like neurodiversity and ADHD. Okay. Um, and like, that's where I heard from her about not linking it to your morality. Okay. All through TikTok. And then I'm like, oh, what, what are these other things I can learn, you know, from TikTok about, you know, like putting a bowl on our entryway table so I can put my keys like right there. Uh-huh. My brain doesn't get that. Like it doesn't register, you know, um, you know, just having more systems and routines in place. Um, and I had to learn those things. Mm-hmm. You know, at 30, I think I was like 34, maybe when I got my diagnosis. So I yeah. learned a lot from TikTok. I still learn a lot from TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. So funny. That's exactly when I was seeing the therapist who said, I really think you have ADHD. She, she described for herself having to have a lot of systems, particularly organization systems in place to um, just keep her life together, basically. Um, but as you're talking about that, of course, like I'm relating it to, to my experience and my questions about it, you know, like I have those systems, I've had those systems forever, but is that because I'm naturally an organized person or is it just because I somehow figured out I have to do this and it just wasn't conscious? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. And I think too, like the household that you were raised in, like how your parents were, um, Mm -hmm. has a huge impact. So yeah, you know, the whole entire discussion of like nature versus nurture, I think comes into play. Mm -hmm. Um, and also too, it's expected more of girls to be organized and studious. Um, so that plays into like the bias as well, but I don't, I don't know. That's a really good question. Like, yeah. Did you just learn early on how to cope or did right. you learn from your parents? Um, or if that's just, again, that may be how your brain's wired, you know, yeah. right. that, you know, to feel safe or just to function day to day. So, yeah, yeah. It's just, this is so fascinating. It feels yeah. so complex. Yes. <laughs> how do I want to say it? I'm not even sure how to phrase this question either, but advocating for Bailey and school systems, things like that. I don't know if that's something you were planning on discussing or. Yeah. I mean, I can touch on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that, um, my perspective had to change. I mean, I guess like the whole entire journey is fluid. Um, Bailey's journey is not my journey, but the journey of being a caretaker, you know, for, um, 
a child who is different, you know, um, that has changed and shifted a lot. So the biggest change was my perspective as far as viewing like disabled individuals. Um, I had a lot of unknown like bias um, and learning a lot of that came from when I worked in the school system or even some of my college classes that I've taken, you know, in special education, um, there is this thought and idea that if you do have a disability, you should overcome it. You should rise above, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, or there's also this they're super extra special and like celebrate them, which makes them untouchable, which is not the case, um, or swing to the opposite side of like, these individuals are incompetent because they don't act like me. They don't sound like me. Um, they're incompetent. So, you know, a lot of that is just a bias that I had and it kind of just went different ways. And, um, I had to, really adjust my lens. Um, and so things that I did in the school system or things that I would say in the school system while working, you know, I now understand they were um, not helpful um, and sometimes harmful, you know, just to the neurodiversity community movement and things like that. So my language has shifted, I would probably say the most, um, you know, how I refer to people, but just being on the opposite side of the table, um, as a parent, you, you just see how much our world and community, um, that they don't support people who are different. Um, and that was really tough because even when I worked in the school system, I felt like I worked with the best of the best and, um, and, and, and coming to the fact that public education, and this is not a bash for public education, um, but it's an institution, you know, we push out cookie cutters, you know, children, um, it's not developmentally appropriate with what they expect of kids. And so realizing that, Oh, what's this going to look like for Bailey? Um, was interesting. It's still interesting um, because not only am I advocating for her, I also find myself advocating for change in a system um, mm -hmm. that is unwilling to change, um, and so that that is that is hard, but I had to make a shift from, you know, what I thought was okay to say and do, um, to realizing like, no, that doesn't really help out people, you know, celebrating them saying they're different or they're not, they're not animals or toys or anything like that. Like they're a human being, mm -hmm. um, and even now, like, I still find myself sometimes, like, um, I, I'm just constantly self-reflecting because at some point, um, you know, the advocating that I'm doing for Bailey, it's, it's going to switch to her, like, um, and so I just, 
my husband and I are just very aware of things that we say and do because we don't ever want her to, um, you know, overhear us in a moment of frustration of being a parent, Mm -hmm. um, with an independent four-year-old, um, it can come across as that we're frustrated with her. And so we're just very conscious of what we say and do around her. Um, and we're pretty loud about how other people interact with her and, um, approach her and stuff like that. Cause we just, it's already a tough place. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that we can't, you know, shield her from everything, but the people that work with her every single day, um, at school, you know, we, we do have an expectation for them. And again, she's been so blessed with amazing teachers. Um, the principals at her school are awesome. So, um, but just because they're awesome, we, still advocate not only for her but just change in the system um Mm -hmm. because not every mom feels um not I don't even want to say that I'm confident but I have no problem ruffling feathers (laughs) (laughs) that's one thing I very much appreciate about you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I have no problem of like you know, asking why, or could you repeat that? Or what do you mean by that? Um, because that comes back from my experience in education, just knowing yeah. how things should be done and how things, you know, aren't done. So, um, but yeah, every, every, every mom's not like me. And I, I, and I think that's where a shift needs to happen too, is within systems and communities and schools. Um, advocating more for the kids, um, and that doesn't always happen. So, yeah. Mm. Um, so one question that I had kind of come up as you were just describing this, it almost to me like the the picture that came to mind was like you working so hard to start to educate yourself and to try to like you said, you had to do so much change, like Bailey didn't need to change all of that. And you're, you're focusing on what you can actually control. And then I almost see this image of like pushing a boulder up a hill and the Mm -hmm. hill is like the society, (laughs) like, and all of the, the constructs and all of the things that still need to shift to make those things easier for caretakers. Um, But with that being said, what gives you hope? Like, are there things that you're reading about or seeing firsthand or whatever that like gives you hope about things shifting in the right direction? Um, (laughs) Maybe the answer is no. (laughs) It's okay if the answer is no. I mean, we don't want that, but. Um, Well, because you see a lot, you know, and again, that's another question. Like, you're probably like, dang, this girl really is ignorant. Like, why would you? No, it's not. It's not. It's not you being ignorant. Um, So what's the saying? Your reality is your perspective. Is that right? Your perspective is reality, whatever. Sure. That makes sense. Um, So again, Bailey has amazing supports in place. And I would say that it is 
tough as a caretaker to do the mental work. Um, and, and with education and teachers, when they're in college, they're not learning about neurodiversity. Um, you know, they get like disability of the day, basically. So one day they talk about Down syndrome, one day they talk about autism and all of that language and information is very outdated. Um, like my husband, he teaches high school English and he saw a copy of one IEP, an individualized education plan. And his teacher said, oh, you'll hardly ever see these. That's not reality. You know, he's pulled and asked to be in IEP meetings and yeah. he's not really educated, <laughs> you know, on how to do this. So right. um, I would say that my hope is found in these amazing people that Bailey has on her team. Um, it's like every year there's that change in transition, but, um, she's still some way, somehow being supported by these great individuals. Um, so that gives me a lot of hope. Um, I would say that it, it's so tough. I'm just, I'm just torn because I don't want to be like negative Nancy or anything. Oh my gosh. No, but that's fine. It, and here's the, the thing. Reality we wanna, is, yeah. Reality. Bring us back to reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. The reality is there's, there's bureaucracy. There's so much red tape. There's laws that are in place that do not support, um, you know, disabled individuals. And so I think as I've been navigating things with Bailey, because she's been getting older, I'm learning more. Um, and what I'm learning is not great. So like an example, I'm here in North Carolina where I live. Um, there's an innovation waiver. Most states have a similar program. And so essentially it's when kids hit a certain age, this age looks different for almost every single state, um, their medical needs, their insurance, all of that is um, taken care of, you know, by the state or whatever program. Um, so the wait list in North Carolina is 10 to 15 years. So financially, um, Bailey will not be getting any support until she gets on that, on that list. And the wait list is 10 to 15 years from doing multiple hours, multiple days of paperwork, trying to get in touch with someone. Um, so like I had a friend whose um, child she thought was on the wait list and you know, something came up where I think one of their teachers said like, hey, um, if you, have you contacted this program? I think there's a resource, yada, yada, yada. So my friend reached out and through talking to that person, they found out that her child was never put on the wait list. Mm. And so three years went by of her thinking that her kid was on this wait list and reality was they weren't. Three years is a huge chunk of time in a, on a 10 to 15 year wait list. So, um, you know, that's, I think it's like the bigger picture, the bureaucracy, the red tape that makes me not hopeful. Um, just because we keep finding these people in our lives and Bailey's lives that do want to learn are so supportive and understanding, um, but we still have barriers. Um, you know, there's um, 
with like for North Carolina with that wait list. Um, you know, there's another program where when she would be an adult, she could have resources for her. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I'm reading up on it. But then I find out that she would be unable to have a full-time job. She would not be able to have any property in her name. So she couldn't even have a car in her name, a house in her name. And so that's very much like, what do you want for these individuals not to have a meaningful, purposeful life? It's like, let me support you. I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> support you. Um, but without a purpose or a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're not getting that support as far as like finances and, um, you know, medical support, then their life is even harder. So those types of things are what's probably the most frustrating as a caretaker. Um, and then also to individuals, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. so I don't, I don't, I don't think I, answer your question. You did. You absolutely did. And sharing that really your hope comes from the people who are really like boots on the ground working directly with the neurodivergent community and all of that kind of stuff. Um, no, I think that that was a perfect answer. And I think that was probably the better question would have been to say, what gives you hope and what still gives you a lot of frustration. Yes, a <laughs> because, lot of frustration. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. that goes with so many different things in our society. It's like, okay, I can I can see here's the good, but then here's like we still have a long way to go. So yeah. Um, yeah. no, so I think you did a perfect job of answering that for sure. Yeah. Um, because we don't know, because we don't know. And so the only way is to educate people, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure that is a very, very, very slow process and frustrating in itself as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, I mean, that's gotta be, um, and you know, and it's somebody who, you know, isn't a caretaker or isn't, um, you know, dealing with autism myself or anything like that. It, it can feel, I can understand that perspective of like, oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, I'm worried I'll say the wrong thing or I'm worried I'll, you know, people can get caught up in that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that goes with, I think so many different is- other issues that are also very, very important. And, but I think it's more, we have to kind of get over ourselves is where I'm trying to go with this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be willing to mess up, oops, say, I'm sorry, or ask questions or whatever the case may be so that we can, you know, start to all sort of raise our awareness, um, of this, you know, in other words, not avoid the issue because we're afraid of messing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think it's hard for individuals to admit that they were wrong or, you know, like, and I mean, I, I mess up. I say things, you know, or I look back on Bailey's journey and I'm like, Oh, I wish I would have done this differently. Um, but I think just being, like you said, like realizing that you may not be part of a community, um, but listening to that community and understanding, like, yeah, you're going to say something wrong. Like it's fine. I think it's all about intention, you know, like, um, I think intention is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, 
Right. Exactly. And remembering like, how does, um, how does she say that? I'm trying to think of this quote. Um, oh, it's Brene Brown and I know everybody's going to roll their eyes, but, um, <laughs> it's, she says, um, I'm not here, um, to be right. I'm here to get it right or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I like that. So, you know, like that's putting the focus back on too much on ourselves when we're like, well, I don't want to mess up. I have to be perfect. I have to get it all right or whatever. And it's like, you know, taking down those defenses when somebody mm-hmm. might call you out, somebody might be like, actually, no, you know, and to humble yourself and realize like, okay, I'm, I'm not as well-versed in this as this other person or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. So yeah. humility, that's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Lisa, did you have anything else before I kind of move on to our last? I know one? you have a very important question. <laughs> and I wrap it up. This is where asking all of our guests this question in this oh, series. Yeah. Uh, I've already kind of prepped you on a little bit. It'll be very simple, um, but yeah. And then of course, if there's anything else that you want to add in addition after mm-hmm. this, this is fine. I want to make sure that I get a chance to ask this, but um, just if there's a lesson that you've learned or a takeaway that feels important to you as you've navigated some of these different shifts that we've just discussed, like, would you say, yeah, here's something that's like been a big takeaway for me or here's my cat. Oh my gosh. Um, so many big ones (laughs) for it. I think so I'm always trying to like keep myself in check and self-reflect and it, I do find myself when I'm like getting frustrated or a little irritated about a situation, um, you know, I, may not be as understanding, you know, um, have y'all talked about the Enneagram on your show? Yes, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a timer, timer 10. (laughs) Um, I'm a four, um, probably more specifically a French revolution four. (laughs) Um, so I want justice right now. Um, so I have learned that, I, I need to give people grace. Um, you know, I'm so much like, let's go, let's go, let's do this, do this, do this. And then when people aren't at my level, I'm like, why? Like, you just need to accept it. You need to learn, you need to move on. Um, and so then I'm like, well, that's almost counteractive of what I'm trying to promote with Bailey. Like I, I have found myself needing to slow down and gain other people's perspectives when they are resistant to change. Um, and that's been hard for me because I'm just like, you need to change. Like, this is what the <laughs> autistic community is saying, you know, be quiet, change your ways and move on. Um, and so just trying to find that balance, um, because I think sometimes you can give too much grace, um, and things become compliant. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to find that, that balance, I think in general is hard, but for me and my personality, it's really, 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 really hard. Um, so that's probably been my biggest takeaway is, you know, asking more questions, gaining people's perspectives before jumping to conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and through that process, you can hold people accountable. 
Um, so I'm just, I'm learning how to do things differently. Yeah. Um, so I think that is hugely important and that I think could cover so many different topics, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not like, this is like in life, that is a great lesson for any of us to be able to try to find that balance. Cause you're exactly right. And it is one of those spectrums again, where sometimes people it's yes, you want to give people grace, but at the same time, like, do you really want to just let them keep, keep perpetuating like mm -hmm. false information yeah. or whatever yeah. the case may be like, yeah. it's finding that balance. As you said, I think that's yeah. really important. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I have to remind myself that one term I didn't even talk about was ableism. Um, I don't know if y'all have heard that word be okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the viewpoint that if you are disabled, it's, it's wrong and, you know, systems are set up in place to be ableist. So understanding that like ableism just didn't happen overnight, you know, our systems weren't just built in a day to not benefit the disabled community. Um, like just remembering that unfortunately it's taking us, it's taken us a long time to do all of these terrible things, um, and harmful things that it's, it's going to take time for change to happen. Um, again, finding that balance of knowing when to keep pushing. Um, but it, I just, I have to remind myself that like things are not going to change overnight. Um, absolutely. That's yeah. huge. Thank you for sharing that. But it has been a joy to actually meet you, Tiffany. <laughs> I know. We're so grateful that you yeah, agreed to and I think, yeah, people are going to definitely take a lot from this conversation. Yeah, yeah, this is a big deal. We really appreciate your openness and um, your willingness to just be super honest, even <laughs> even if you weren't feeling like it was maybe the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, sometimes I'm transparent to a fault. So, um, I, I feel that. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. We very much appreciate it. I think it's definitely needed, especially in this conversation. Are, yeah. are any final words or any anything else you want to leave us with? Um, um, so y'all upload to YouTube, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe could I give you some links? Yes. 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 for That's, people you know, just to kind of maybe learn more about you know autism or neurodiversity things like that absolutely like the only thing resources yeah. would be amazing yes we'll put them in the show notes for both the podcast and for yeah. youtube well goodbye everybody thank you for tuning in yeah thank you yes bye Thanks for hanging with us through today's tangents. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back again soon, but meanwhile, you can follow along with us on Instagram at no tangents. We would love it if you would subscribe and maybe even consider leaving us a review, a highly complimentary one. Keep it going, no, don't stop it. Don't get the picture, then we crap it. With no emotion, what's the lie? We just lost in our thoughts.